This is Planted, a podcast that encourages us to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and established in the faith. Today, Pastor Matt will lead us further into the discussion of this people called Israel. Hi everyone, this is Pastor Matt Grimm. I'm here once again with Thad Keenel, and we're bringing you the Planted Podcast. How are you doing today, Thad? I'm doing good. It's good to be here. Yeah. So we are continuing on with our season about Israel, and we have uh, kind of reached a little bit, I think, last week, some of the the top of the mountain to some degree, and, and I think we'll maybe be trying to wrap up as we kind of head back down and, and bring this... Uh, don't know how long it will take to bring this to a conclusion, but we, we've kind of got to our main thing of wanting to introduce this notion that all Israel in uh, Romans 11 is inclusive of what we would say the whole church, but, but it really may even be more specific than that, that it is including, specifically including those lost tribes of Israel. And so we looked at that from Genesis 48 and have been uh, trying to investigate a, uh, a, it first started as a paper from uh, scholar Jason Staples. He's now written a book about this, and uh, it really seems to make sense to me. And the arguments are sound, and the terminology of, of this, the fullness of the Gentiles or the, f- the fullness of the nations that we see in Genesis 48 that is coming back again here in Romans 11 uh, is helping us see uh, God's plan for all Israel, right? Yeah, there really is. There's a, there's a big aspect uh, of where Jason Staples has taken it one level beyond what I had even considered, I think. But on, on, on things that we had talked about in the past, even over the last few years for sure, is we understood a concept that is argued about within the church, and that is uh, what is true Israel, and does the church and Israel is there two different covenants that the Lord is dealing right. with, right? And uh, we've been arguing for the, the entirety of our podcast career, which is <laughs> we're <laughs> in six, six seasons yeah. anyways, right? Yeah. Uh, doing um, or, or, or stating that, no, true Israel includes Israelites yep. and Gentiles, and uh, they all come together from those whom all whom the Lord calls unto himself. So part one of that argument is, will the age of the Gentiles come to a close and then there be a future promise of Israel being saved? Like is kind of quoted in Romans 11. What does that really mean? And we've talked about that some. And then number two is the separation of the northern tribes of Ephraim and the southern tribes, Judah, and what does that look like? Like you were saying earlier, what does those lost tribes mm-hmm. uh, promise, and where do they go from? And we we talked about last episode, I believe, uh, that the Lord has not forsaken His promise, and He has right. always included a remnant, and He has a plan, and that plan 
um, is in, through is the through, preaching of yeah, the Gentiles. It's right? through the preaching right. to the Gentiles, and yeah. Paul talks about that. And so now we've begun, like you said, we've 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 crested, and now I think we're going to be on this plateau for a little bit, just looking at um, how many different scriptures right. really speak toward the right. same manner. Right. So what I'd like to do now, just this will help provide a little bit of a summary uh, for us, but I think we'll also. I, I want to read from a commentary from N.T. Wright on Romans 11, uh, in this section of Romans 11. And I think what he says would very much fit with what that part one of the argument you're talking about there, of how we viewed things. And I think it would agree with what he's saying, we'll say here, we'll agree with that. But I think it also, if we, if we see that, but it, the way it's worded, it's easily we fit that second part of through the Gentiles into this notion, Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I don't know if, if N.T. Wright had this in mind as he was saying this, because he's, he's not explicit about that. But I think his language here, you will see, is very complementary to both those things you just said, even though I think he's for, focusing more probably on the first part. Mm-hmm. Okay, So let me just pick up here. I'm going to pick up kind of in the middle of a paragraph, but he, uh, he starts talking about, uh, he's summing up a little bit of Romans 9 to 11, and, and then getting into this phrase, all Israel. So he says, um, he's been talking about how, um, you know, we're, we are, Jews and Gentiles are together. There's no second-class citizens. Either side shouldn't be treating each other that way. He says, this, of course, is not at all what Paul's thinking or saying, but it's desperately easy for people to get the wrong end of the stick. So Paul begins his final summing up of the long argument of chapters 9 to 11 with the little word that, that says it all, Adelphoi, brothers, which would also include sisters, um, saying we're all one, we're, we're all coming together, right? Paul has lived and worked and prayed and struggled for the full and equal rights of Gentile Christians, and he wants them to be quite clear that he has not gone back on that for a split second. His fellow Jews are his brothers according to the flesh, but Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians alike are in, full, in a full and complete sense his true family fellow members of the body of the Messiah. This launches him into stating and then explaining the mystery, which explains the whole picture. The word mystery was every bit as exciting to ancient readers as it is to us, and in Paul's world it had a particular meaning, the secret plan of God which was now unveiled in the Messiah Jesus. This isn't some people, as some people have suggested, a fresh mystery, quite apart from the Messiah, which God has only now revealed to Paul. That was a parenthesis he had there. He says, the mystery is the question. How is God saving his whole people, Jew and Gentile alike? How is all, in quotes, Israel going to be saved? Verse 26. Many people find this puzzling. Surely, they say, all Israel must mean all Jews, either all Jews who've ever lived or all believing Jews or all Jews alive at the time of final salvation. But Paul himself has indicated otherwise. At the very start of the discussion in the passage beginning at 9.6, he has declared that not all who are Israel are in fact of Israel. In a similar passage in Galatians 6.16, he has spoken of the Israel of God, meaning the whole family of the Messiah, Jew and Gentile alike. Compare Galatians 3.26-29. Some translations of Romans, assuming that verse 26 refers to all Jews, and he has Jews in italics there, being saved, make it 
sound as though Paul here refers to a fresh event which comes after the events at the end of verse 25. But that's not what Paul says. A hardening has come upon Israel, allowing time for the nations to come in, and that is how God is saving all Israel, in quotes. The phrase, all Israel shall be saved, was already something of a regular slogan in some Jewish thinking. Paul here takes it and widens its scope. All Israel? That means all the family of Abraham, and that includes believing Gentiles as well as believing Jews. So I'm going to stop there, but I think it's interesting that I think, you know, he is thinking of that Jew. He's not distinguishing the two tribes here. I was thinking the same thing. But but what he's saying is, is that it is through the preaching to the Gentiles that all Israel is being saved. So that part of it, he's saying. Right. And, and, and I think... What this we're, is where we were before Staples showed up on the right. scene. And, and I think when we add Staples into that, we, it, it hasn't changed that. It's only added right. the depth to help us see that it's actually... That it's not all Jews in that sense, but it is all Israel. Mm-hmm. And so all Israel in this sense are those other tribes that aren't of Judah or the southern Judean tribes, right? And so it it, it is very complementary. It doesn't really change this. It actually, in my view, just deepens it and makes it richer right. to help us see that. And so perhaps for those who are listening who are confused by what's being said when we say Jews— versus Israel and whatnot. Uh, I think the game plan is that as N.T. Wright was using the term Jews, he has in mind Israelites. Likely. Likely. Yes. Likely he does because he's talking about all Israel being saved and therefore he's talking about the Jews. Because Um, that, as we mentioned before, that has been the language of Paul all up through until Romans 9 he has just talked about Jews, and in Romans nine is the nine to eleven. He starts incorporating this Israel language, right? And so, for most of the time when we are hearing people preach about the Jews, um, I think they're using that term synonymous, synonymously. synonymously with Israel, right? Okay. Um, so, what the distinction is that we're making just for the future and part of this conversation is in regard to the lost. Tribes of Israel, right? right. And that, I think a couple of podcasts ago, we, we distinguished right, that terminology. Right. So but, now when we're talking about is, all Israel, um, of course, the Jews are included, but so are the northern tribes. Yes. Uh, and, and of course, um, true Israel is also now including Gentiles who were never part of a Israel or a Jewish bloodline to begin with as well, because they are, through adoption, made children of Abraham. Yes, Yes. So there's a. So and, and, how and, do you and, think the easiest? <laughs> it's kind of it, just in talking about it. It's almost hard to describe that. But um, what do you think the easiest way is as we move forward? Maybe I mean we maybe we just keep the distinctions as they are. But um, when we talk about Israelites and Jews coming in as we move forward, are we going to be distinguishing the the Jewish people that were in like the Babylonian exile versus the Assyrian? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it depends a little bit on where we are, because if we go back and look at some of the prophets, like I think we will spend, maybe spend a little time today looking at some post-exilic prophets or or just, I don't know, maybe any, that they often will do that distinguishing for us. Mm-hmm. So they when they will talk about the house of Judah and the house of Ephraim, right? And we, again, we, Ephraim is would be the northern tribes because of the line of kings being through the line of Ephraim. Or, as we'll see today, hopefully, 
Sometimes it's the house of Joseph, who is the father of Ephraim, right? Which, which is what we talked about in Genesis 48 uh, last week. And so that is a, it's an interesting thing. So sometimes it can depend on where we are, but I also think that it does, I think we do need to pay attention to the fact that some scholars have noticed, especially in Romans 9 to 11, that Israel there does have this ethnic connotation, right? That, you know, earlier, you know, there is, if you're distinguishing spiritual Israel, um, it's in the, who has faith in Abraham. Mm-hmm. But is there this is there this concern for an ethnic Israel in Romans nine to eleven? Right. So and, sometimes what I, I don't mean to interrupt, but sometimes what uh, when I'm teaching or whatever, I use this term of categories. Yes. And so it's kind of going to be on us to when. We're not talking about just a general yeah. Israelite or whatever that we're going to make distinctions in the categories because we could even be talking about Samaria, the Samaritans, yeah. and they would be a, f- a form of Israelite as well. Yeah. Right. Right. So I think we need. I think we need to. We do need to be able to do that. So, are could there be times when Paul, for example, is talking about Israel in the sense of those who have faith in the faith of Abraham. Uh, Sometimes we use the word spiritual Israel in that sense, but it it really is just, if you have the faith of Abraham, we're grafted into that same tree of faith, and um, we're all one in that sense. But are there other times when he's talking about Israel, where he's talking about anyone included in those 12 tribes? Um, But could he also be distinguishing between at times, a Jew and an Israelite, uh, because uh, Judah and Israel, because that was a distinction after the, the two the two kingdoms split, right? right? And it's an honest distinction on our part, because that's right. how the Old Testament refers to the northern tribes as Israel, yeah. or Ephraim. Right. So, yeah, okay, yeah. good. So, moving forward, just so you know, I think it was just kind of worth trying to rehash that once again, because... Um, it, it can be a little bit confusing at times. It so, can be, and I think it is. It's an honest question, which I don't know if I've come to a complete conclusion on. Is in Romans nine when he makes this switch, okay, from talking about Jews to now talking about Israel, okay? So, um, I'm trying to. Okay, so I think it's in verse 6, where he says, It's not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descendants from Israel belong to Israel. All right? So, like right there, in his is Paul talking about all 12 tribes there? Uh, I think he is. Okay? At that point, he's not making a distinction, although he's changed from talking about Jews to talking about Israel. Um, is it is it synonymous? Well, maybe, but also maybe not. Is 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 Paul starting here in verse nine to help us set up what's going to what he's going to conclude with in Romans eleven? In, in verse six, yeah, chapter nine, verse six, yeah. Yeah, is, so that being the setup, but is he doing that in order to 
bring us to Romans 11. Yeah, and actually it mentions Israelites in verse 4 as well, and I was just going to pop on Oh, okay, that. it does. Um, but it's, it uses Israelites as opposed to Israel. I was just going to pop that in and see if that... Oh, yeah, they are Israel. There we go. Okay, I'm sorry, I skipped. I missed that. So, so yeah, if we just start in verse not chapter 9, I think we covered this a couple weeks ago, but just to review, sure. I'm speaking the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish I, that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now, again, up to this point, that terminology that he's used early in Romans has been Jew. And that would be true because in terms of staying a distinct people, after the exile, when people returned to the land, most of them would have been from the tribes of Jude and Benjamin. But let's we but we've opened up the possibility to say, oh, other people from the other ten tribes, you know, who had been scattered earlier could have returned at that time, too, and identified themselves with the Judites. Right, right. right. It's, po- it's possible. Right, because they right. just go under the category of the strongest uh, tribe at the time. Yeah, but we, we, but the point is is that they would all be called Jews. Right, right. Okay, so, uh, and that's what Paul has been referring to up to this point. They are his kinsmen. They belong, the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises to them, um, that they are Israelites, he says there in, ver- in, in verse 4. That to them belong the... Now, why, you know, again, why the switch? Well, because actually all these things, adoption, glory, covenants, don't just apply to the southern tribes. It does apply to all the tribes, right? And so... Um, because the patriarchs are for all 12 tribes, right? To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And so in some sense, it's natural to, to, to make that switch mm-hmm, right. at that point because of his argument. But he stays with Israel. Um, and, and, and in verse 6, he says, For not all who are descendants from Israel belong to Israel. Okay? So... There he goes back. He goes back to the term Israel. It, it appears to me, and he does the same thing um, in another place. But anyway, I can't think of it. But uh, when he's talking about to whom like the covenants were given, right? So he goes all the way back to the root mm-hmm. of, of of Israel, right? Because it wouldn't have been the covenants wouldn't have been given to the to the Judites only or to the Jews, right? And so he's talking more specifically historically to now. The Israelites of them all, all 12 tribes right. were given. Right. And what's interesting, and maybe this would be a good time to go to Zechariah, because oh, good. Zechariah is a post-exilic prophet, and he is, um, he's, I think he even appears in the book of Ezra, um, but he is, he along with Haggai are priests, prophets, calling them back to rebuild the temple. and And basically it's, uh, return to the Lord. Let's start worshiping the Lord again. Let's make him the focus of things. And if we do, if we do return to the Lord, if we do not just start making sacrifices to the temple and stuff like that, but if we start fulfilling the covenant again and obeying the Lord and living as we should, then the exile will end in some senses. I mean, they're already back in the land and they're already building, but he's kind of like the Lord, the Messiah will come. 
and the messianic kingdom will come. Mm-hmm. And so, so, and so he's preaching to the people that are back in the land. Okay, and at this time, that would be recognized mostly at the, as Judeans, because that's where they they are in in Jerusalem. But like we said, they're not they're not necessarily calling just from that tribe just from that tribe mm-hmm. but i think that the most people would historically recognize that they are mostly going to be from judah and benjamin and levi for the same reason that when we hear the word jew we think of israelites that's how they would be receiving that in a, in a in a in a broad sense right. as well and so they would so if you ask them well, what about where are the reubenites you know where are the simeonites my <laughs> assumption is they would say they they're, they're they're lost. You know, they would be they would be considered apostates, really, because they set up these other rival temples. If we go to the book of Amos, it talks about Bethel and Gilgal as these, you know, were two places where they're they they set where um, and that's I think where Jeroboam, the Ephraimite, right, of the first king, he set up these rival places of worship. And so when when uh, Jesus goes and talks to the Samaritan woman at the well, right? She talks about those places where even the, their, their Samaritans are worshiping at these other places right. you know, still. And so, uh, but from the faith, the people who would consider them the faithful Jew who's returned to the land after the exile, they would see those others as apostate, as they've turned away from the Lord. They, they, they're not um, there to some degree. Now, if they come back, the way back is to become a Jew, to become and worship back in Jerusalem and live with them. Right, right? because it had a, it had everything to do with um, worship around the true temple. Right. Yeah. So, so what, what chapter of Zechariah are you going Zechariah, I'm going to go to Zechariah 10. Okay. And in Zechariah 9, just quickly, if we jump back up, he this is where we... Uh, we get the verse that's quoted when Jesus um, enters into Jerusalem as really as the messianic king riding on a donkey, right? And he it, it quotes that he will come riding on a donkey, humble. Um, uh, so uh, that would be nine, verse nine. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout loud, aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey? On a colt, the foal of a donkey, mm-hmm. um, and with that, interesting here because we have Ephraim mentioned. Verse ten: I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. Okay, so the conflict and being under the the uh, when the, when this Messiah comes, you know the 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 idea is that hey, you know the other the nations. Are, that have been at war with us and dominates, they, they won't be able to anymore, right? Right. And, but it specifically Ephraim is mentioned there. Um, but so we have this, this more poetry, more language about the return of the Lord, and the, door, the Lord's going to save them, uh, the flock of his people, uh, for the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. Um, all, all of this language that's coming at the end of nine, and then what I want to get to is, as we come on to chapter 10, he's, he's kind of angry with the shepherds over the house of, of Israel, house of Judah. Um, 
um, and uh, and he, when he comes, he's you know, part of the restoration. This is what it would look like if the restoration were to happen. Now, what's actually interesting is in chapter eleven we see that. This is all conditional. This is all in once this prophecy of what it will look like before the people at that time, this is being offered to them. It's conditional on whether they will actually return and, and be obedient. Okay, gotcha. and, and they don't, so it doesn't happen, <laughs> right? But he, but let's look at verse 6, um, because of, this is where we see this distinction being made between the two houses. So chapter 10, verse 6 of Zechariah. I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. Now, interesting here, it's not Abraham. It actually goes to Joseph. You, that, mean, you mean Ephraim? Or yeah, no, yeah, yeah, Ephraim. Because other places, often the northern tribes are referred to as Ephraim, but here they're referred to as Joseph, mm-hmm. which um, there was no tribe of Joseph in the land. It was actually the, the two tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, right? Right. But just as often... All the ten tribes are associated with Ephraim. Here, Zechariah is associating them with Joseph, which, if you listen to last week's podcast, um, we we saw how that why that would be true because of the blessing that Pat was passed on from Jacob uh, to Ephraim. Right, through Joseph, that actually right? may have been a couple ago, but uh, from, yeah, yeah, but nonetheless, yeah. So from chapter Genesis chapter forty eight, yeah, and in forty nine, right. yeah. So I will strengthen the house of Judah. I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them, and they shall be as though I have not rejected them. And we've talked about that. He rejected them, especially the northern ten tribes. He wrote them a certificate of divorce, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But he's bringing them back. For I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Then Ephraim, now he switches back to Ephraim, Ephraim shall be like a mighty warrior, and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it and be glad. Their their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. And so because of our discussion and because of what we've been talking about, especially as it relates to Genesis 48 and Romans 11.26, I now see these verses in even a bigger light. Right, because historically, up in even into this day, we don't see anywhere that these tribes of Ephraim have returned. Right. In a physical sense anyway. Yeah, in a physical sense. Right. But if the but if the if the Gentiles are if they are associated with the Gentiles, they are and the Gentiles are coming, then they are coming. Then they are coming. So um so verse eight, I will whistle for them and gather them in. For I have redeemed them, and they shall be as many as they were before. Verse 9, though I scattered them among the nations. Okay, that's exactly what happened, uh, especially to, to Israel. Now, it happened to Judah as well, but though more, when, the, when they returned, they, they seemed to be returned more, but not all of them they, returned. They returned, time. but the whole time, even when they were in exile, they, they kept their identity yeah. in, in Babylon. Right. And that's not what happened with the exactly, northern right. tribes. So he says, I will bring them home from the land of Egypt I will gather and gather them from Assyria. I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon till there's no room for them. He shall pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the sea, and all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low, and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. I will make them strong in the Lord, and they shall walk in the name, declares the Lord. So all this language of return... Or language of um, 
the nations that weren't held in dominance over them were being laid low and they're being returned. So we can see, I think we can realistically see from this language why people would want to associate this back with land, mm-hmm. right? Um, but because he's gathering them in, but it's interesting that is the, re- the, the language, though, he doesn't specifically say the land. He just says, I'll bring them back. He says, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to strengthen them. I'm going to save their house. Well, it, I've gathered kinda, them in. I've right. scattered them. Yet in far countries they shall remember me, and their children shall live, shall live and return. Now, it, it, it would be natural and, and, and not wrong to think the return land, but is the is the return is the, what's the more impo- what's the most important thing about return? Yeah, just the return to the Lord. To the Lord, right? Yeah, because uh, now he does say in verse ten, "I'll bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon." But then he says, till there's no room for them, <laughs> which is interesting. And, and so um, now is that just language of, of multitudes? It probably is. But there is a question of looking, especially as we get to the New Testament, of looking into how the nations do come and they do return but they also were being sent back out as well. Uh, and so as we read this, I think where I'm going here, Thad, and a question for you is some people will argue to have the most faithful reading of passages like this in Zechariah and for God to keep his promise, and the most faithful reading is to say it has to be a return to the land. Um, and so... Verse 10, I'll bring them to the land of Gilead and Lebanon. And so there you go. That seals it up. It, well, yes, and I can understand that as well. And that that used to be my eschatology as well, how, how things are going to be resolved. Um, at the end of the eschaton, when mm-hmm. Israel begins to return, we used to talk about you know how the Jews are making their way back into the land of Israel. They're they're starting to, right. to flood back in. When it became a nation in 1948, all those landmarks that we were seeing happen. But when we see how the gospel goes forth into the nations, and we read verses such as uh, the Romans nine thing and and the Romans eleven thing, where it says that. All Israel is not of Israel. That's speaking of bloodlines, that the gospel goes forth to every tongue, tribe, and nation, right? Of whom the Israelites, the northern tribes for sure were at least integrated into. Right. Um, uh, It is not a stretch to keep a literal reading of this in terms of the proper context, which is in a spiritual means of return. Yeah. You know, so. we're not trying to spiritualize more than what it's saying, but we can reconcile this with other passages that clearly show that it's spiritual. Of uh, The kingdom actually taking place at that time as well. He's, he's seated on his throne at the ascension. Right. So he, he is ruling and reigning now, so the kingdom of God exists. Um, summarize kind of what I'm, what I'm saying there. I think, you know what I'm trying to say? Well, no, I, I, yeah, I think there is the spiritual aspect of that, of the inclusion of 
the church in all of these things. And that is happening in a real sense of spreading over all the earth. Uh, And so it's legitimate to speak of the kingdom of God reigning in his people right now. He's the head of the church. Um, We are his body. Jesus is present on earth through his people by union with his spirit. Okay, so there's a real presence in a real kingdom right now. It doesn't have borders. It doesn't have a political essence as recognized by the nations, but there is an essence somewhat through the church. I mean, every church has some form of government that it's mm-hmm. following. Um, and, and ultimately, we should believe that Jesus as the head over it all. Um, so I think in that sense, we can see a real unfolding of that happening now. But there is still this future time when it will be clear and the land will be fully possessed. And which, and this is where I'm going a little bit with it, is um, in the new heavens and the new earth, we will have the ultimate fulfillment of that Zechariah passage, right? Because uh, all the earth will be the people of God will return to, which includes Lebanon and Gilead and all those places, right? And so a, there will be a little literal return to the land um, in the new heavens and the new earth. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, but I think that's already happening now through the church. They're just not doing it with armies and um, and those kind of things. Right. And, when, and when the church has tried to do that, and nations have kind of gotten in bed with the church, and that, so to speak— and for those purposes, it generally hasn't necessarily—I my I would argue that it has often been a poor witness to the cross of Christ uh, when we try to, uh, you know, kill people in the name of Jesus in order to win people to Jesus. Well, right. right? I mean, some of, some of that goes back to the Holocaust as well. You see that, right? Um, yeah. The, the big thing for me is that Jesus Christ— has joined together Jew and Gentile under one faith. And in yes. Ephesians, he says, to, he's speaking to the Gentiles, he says, remember that you, formerly the Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcised by the so-called people of the circumcision, which is the Jews, uh, he says, remember that you were at one time without Christ, alienated from the citizenship of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is verse 14 of chapter 2. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups one and broke down the dividing wall of the partition by abolishing in his flesh the enmity of the law of the commandments contained of ordinance and such. But... It says right there, he's made of the two one. So why would we then try to say that, but later on, he's going to separate that again and make a break in it and, and just have a bloodline Israel? Because mm-hmm. this, this is speaking 
of a spiritual joining that Christ has accomplished by his right, blood. Right. And so uh, that's what we're standing on. Yes, and, we're, and we would also say that that is inclusive of Israel. That, you know, the two, it obviously, because you're making the two one. Uh, so there, there is this notion of a future promise that still has to be fulfilled. It is being fulfilled in that conclusion. It's, it's just because Gentiles are being included, and then we could even argue that through the Gentiles, the lost tribes of Israel are being included as well. But just because they're being included doesn't mean that Israel isn't receiving God's faithful covenant-keeping word. You know, they are still. Right. Right. Because it's all as we it's all happening in Jesus. Right. You know, and so and there will be a return to the land. Um, but but that has expanded and gotten bigger. Right. And so it's like I think I used uh, on the podcast. I don't know how long ago, but kind of the example of a, a father who promises kid, you know, that he's going to get the Mustang. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then and Oops. then um, the Mustang gets wrecked. You know, he's like, oh, maybe we're going to get it back. And then later, not only does he restore the Mustang, but he gives him the whole car. He buys a whole car dealership for him. And, and like, here, you know, here you go. Here's the whole thing. And, and so, I mean, that's the idea is that uh, we can't look at the and say, oh, oh, you didn't give me the Mustang. You gave me a dealership instead. You know, it's like, well, no, the Mustangs are part of the dealership. You know, it's, it's the same thing in giving us the whole earth. The land is part of the whole earth, you know. Yeah, you know, and so yeah. I, that's how I see it, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I do, I agree, and I agree um, with that analogy. But I also like the way the Bible speaks in terms of covenant and that faithful relationship that takes place. And it's uh, I, I often use the covenant in terms of a marriage relationship. Yeah, and, right. and in marriage, um, when the two become one, it does not separate again. Right, what the Lord has brought together, let no man bring us under. So, you have the two becoming one, and that's exactly what it says here in the in Ephesians. Right, we both have access to the Spirit. You're no longer strangers. The two have become one, and one body. In verse sixteen, to God through the cross, having Himself put the death, the the enmity between the two. You know, and then it talks. about, it quotes some of the Old Testament from Isaiah there. So this is not just a New Testament concept. The gospel of the Old Testament was exactly this fulfillment that the two were going to be brought together. And so um, once it just doesn't make sense once the Lord has brought two things together, and that's what he says he's done with the Jew and the Gentile through the blood of Christ. Now we have one true Israel. And again, that's not just because you're an Israelite, because we know not all of Israel is Israel, or not all those of the bloodline, right? But those who are of the seed of promise, that the Lord would then separate that again um, at the end of some age right. age to come. Yeah. So, why are we harping on this a little bit? Why? One, I, I think we've just we've appreciated this kind of unveiling, you know, to some degree for us to see how this mystery has is of the Gentiles is inclusive of those um, lost tribes of, of the nor- of Northern Israel. Uh, but, but I think there's another element of it, at least for me, 
that is, yeah, we want to we want to try to be as faithful readers of scripture as we can. But as we are, it should be doing something. It should be transforming my mind in such a way that I then become a more faithful follower of mm-hmm. Christ. And so, what lesson do you think we should learn from those northern ten tribes? What's the lesson to learn about God's grace that is should help us when we uh, one maybe are wrestling with temptation and sin in our own life, but then also in, in how we relate to other lost people? Um, if I was because I was one of those people, and there should be. I'm just I'm trying to wrestle through the kind of applying this and, and saying okay one maybe it can help me teach the Bible better but that should that should have a uh, another layer to it or another impact a wave that comes out of that right right the Lord um, speaks to those who are outside of walking with Him as those who are um, of a hard heart mm-hmm. and people of hard hearts which includes all of us at one time in our lives. And sometimes we'll let our hearts get a little bit um, hard, right? Um, Reject the truth and the warmth of God's mercy. Yet there's no heart that's so hard that the Lord can't melt it because that's what he does. He performs cosmic heart surgery on people. Mm -hmm. He takes the heart of stone and makes a heart of flesh to those whom he calls, to whom the word is effective and received by faith. And so God in his word talks um, to Israel and says, I have, I've stood here with my arms open wide waiting to receive you, right? But you would not have it. Why wouldn't they have it? Because they were practicing their hard hearts. So we can, with the gentlest of ladies or the, or some gruff looking dude that seems incredibly hard, impossible to break, share the same gospel story to them of the open arms of Jesus Christ waiting for him saying, if you just believe what I did, you can be my child. Mm -hmm. Right. And we can offer that. I'm standing here with arms open wide, ready to embrace you to forget all of your past for those who repent, because that's the gospel is repent and believe. It doesn't say um, if you've told too many lies that you can't do that. Right. If you've um, if you smack somebody upside the head that you can't be forgiven for that. Right. It's there's nothing that you can't be forgiven of because Jesus is victorious because Jesus conquered all that. He He's, conquered it. That's he, right. he paid the price for that. Right. So. So, yeah, that message goes out now. There's something else that I was going to um, bring up in a second. Did you have anything? Well, off of I, that? You just, I was I was back in Romans 11 and, you know, I think it's important that, you know, we've been wrestling a lot with this verse 26, and this way all Israel will be saved, and seeing, you know, again, Jason Staples' thesis and all this, which we've seen. Um, but I think it's always important to look at it back that verse 25 precedes it, and this whole argument within this. He says, lest you be wise in your own sight. Mm. I I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And then again, that fullness of the Gentiles reference back to the to Genesis 48 and 
how Ephraim is all part of this and the preaching of the Gentiles, and in that way all this is going to be saved. But it's all the, the reason this mystery needs to be unveiled to us, the reason I need to hear this, is that I wouldn't be wise in my own sight. Um, that I wouldn't become puffed up and proud because I know the Messiah, mm. right? And I'm, I, and you know, this would be like for Gentiles to think, oh, you're somehow special, you know, you know, uh, because you you've you've been more readily accepting it than the Jews have, or whatever, you know, whatever he, Paul's dealing with here. But he's like, no, you see, God has always it's all it's about God's faithfulness that He's still being faithful to to all Israel. Right, right, and you're and you're you're basically you're getting included in this. So he, because uh, yes, he always wanted to bless you through Abraham, right? I mean, of course, that that's the thing that I always held in the back of my head. But he's also, but he's also actually now using you to bring Israel back. Mm-hmm. You know, and so neither neither group can be puffed up, right? So neither group can say, "Oh, we're more special than the other." Well, as soon as you start thinking of yourself, and at the point you throw off. Um that connection to God, um, you can see that the Lord says uh, about the whole grafting under the branches. What do you right. think? You can all of a sudden be proud. Right. You think you, I won't just cast you right. off again? Yeah. You know, and it's not about losing your salvation, but it's about the idea that you're you're tied into God only and solely by His grace. And so that's what you're saying. You can't take pride in that. It's the most humiliating right. or the most humbling um, message that there is. Um, now, what I was going to ask you, because we were you were talking at one time about uh, being taking things too spiritually as opposed to literally and stuff mm-hmm. like that. For those who are expecting at the end of some age for um, Israel to come back to the land, and, and so they're so like they'll say that that would take place typically at the second coming at the rapture, right, mm-hmm. where the the church would be taken away, um, when. If Israel then all of a sudden believes in mass, which would be great, that's fine with me if that's what happens. But if <laughs> what what is the what's the other element that the people are expecting to be built when the Jews come back? When Jesus comes, yeah, well, yeah, when yes, the temple, the temple, right? Right. So okay, so here's the difference in spiritual because we are very careful not to stray away from what the word of the Lord is telling us. We need to use the references in yeah. context of what that is. So um, there's a physical temple, and I think all the believers out there today would understand that we are now the temple of God, right? right. But listen to what it continues to say in Ephesians about this. After he just said that the middle barriers come down, that he's made of the of the two one, um, in verse 19 he says, so then you are no longer strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself, the cornerstone, verse 21, in whom the whole building being joined together is growing into a holy sanctuary in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Now, it sounds like it's a very physical thing. The whole building right. is being joined together. But is it is it a physical Building is this going to be made of stone? No, this is of yeah. the this is of the people on right. the foundation is Christ. Is speaking of the temple. This right. is the temple that's being built. Yeah, it, exactly. And so that is the temple that's being built is a real temple mm-hmm. 
but it's a temple of people, <laughs> right? Right? Who have the spirit? Because that's one of the important things to remember is when we think about the temple. What was the function of the tabernacle, which was a mobile temple that then became a a solitary temple in Jerusalem? But what? Why was the temp, Why was the tabernacle and then the temple constructed? So God could dwell amongst his people. So God could dwell amongst his people. The temple was there. Yes, that's where you offered sacrifice and all that stuff that was providing cover. Basically, it was allowing God's presence to dwell with his people without consuming them. Because without the covering of the blood, without the protection Hmm. of the blood, we would be consumed with the holiness of God. He had to set them apart and make them holy. And all those we know were just place markers for the blood of Mm -hmm. Christ. Right? But the point is, is that how can God's Spirit dwell with us? Well, because the final sacrifice has been made, we have the blood of Christ covering us, and we are able to be united to Christ um, by the Spirit. And so how can we be the temple? Because God can dwell in the individual believer now because the final sacrifice has been made. We're not dependent on that place where the blood was um, applied, <laughs> right, and, and where the, the the animal was our substitute, because we have Calvary, right, uh, and so uh, and because of Calvary, and because of after that the t- the that the uh, the temple curtain was torn into that whole picture of of God's spirit, and so uh, that is still a real, literal temple. It just doesn't look like the old one. Our, I'm a real, literal person. You're a real, literal person. When we gather together as God's people, we're a real, literal assembly, which the, that's the word used in the New Testament of church, ecclesia. It just means assembly. Uh, that's a real, literal thing. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't look like, a, it's just not a physical structure. But it's still real, and it's still literal. And it's still tangible, <laughs> uh, 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 unless you know we're living in some kind of um, you know uh, what's the movie Matrix? You know, unless we're living in some kind of Matrix. <laughs> oh, right? it's, it's way better than the movie Matrix. <laughs> it, it this, is. Is, this is beyond all of that. right. So I, I think it's important for us to em- embrace that, and in, at least in my weak little brain, the a build a rebuilding a temple would, in some ways, be like a step backwards in terms of God's what God's doing in terms of redemption. And so when we see the picture of the new heaven and the new earth in Revelation, exactly. right? Exactly. We see how how can the whole earth be his temple? Well, the whole earth can be his temple because we're actually this kingdom of priests that is creating is filling the whole land everything and we're guarding and keeping it the way we were supposed to back in in Genesis 1 and 2. Right? right? Um, which that, that whole language then returns that we become again the caretakers of God's temple, which the, which the whole purpose back in just was that when they were fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth, I believe that the whole earth was to become the temple. Right. right? Well, of course, in Revelation, it says there, there was no more temple. Yeah. Right. So not only are we 
being built up as the te- temple of the beer. And that's a, yeah. that's a literal thing. Um, we're also a city. Yeah. We're, we're Holy Jerusalem coming yeah. down, which is interesting, right? So Revelation chapter 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. So we're thinking this is a city mm-hmm. coming down out of heaven. Oh, but listen to this. Made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Well, who's mm-hmm. the bride of Christ? Yeah. It's the church. It is. Right? And so then it, it goes on and it says, um, not, so we're Jerusalem coming down and, and we're heaven and then our and we're the we're the bride, and then he. Um, this is verse ten of chapter twenty one. He carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Listen how it describes this. Her brilliance was like a precious stone. Oh, her brilliance. That's that's the bride of Christ speaking mm-hmm. in that in that sense. So we are the holy city. We are the temple. Um, we belong to the temple. So, yeah, it's symbolic language, but it's a literal description using the right uh, language as the Bible speaks to us. Yes, yes. So, so. I, that's a, it's just excellent. I mean, the, the concept um, that we have been talking about um, in this whole Israel podcast, so we're in 12 episodes now into this, is the idea... That God has, through his eternal covenant, decided that he was going to gather a group of people unto himself. And the first people that he gathers in covenant is this people called Israel. Right. But they have a mission to shine the light and the glory of God to the nations around them. And they tend to be disobedient at times, but he continues to redeem his people. They go into slavery. He redeems his people. Right, and he brings them into Israel, and then he sets them up even as as a kingdom amongst the nations. Mm-hmm. Um, and under David and Solomon, they're a true united nation for for a time. Um, it doesn't last long because of the hard hearts of the people. They're disobedient, and then they break up. And this is where we see God really as a demonstration of you can't turn your back on the covenant of God if you mm-hmm. do. You're going to be judged for it, and the people are judged, and so they're separated. And, and but he keeps a people for himself. But he's always, even prophesying that not only am I going to judge you, he gives them a chance to repent before he judges them. But if they don't, not only when I do judge you, I'm still going to bring you back to myself because I've made this promise. This is part of my covenant, and then he just shows how he's going to be doing that and extending that even into the nations, the Gentiles, and think. Thank the Lord because that includes us. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I think that's that's the you know back to Romans eleven. That's one of the wonderful things about this is that as Gentiles, we should see the, this wisdom of God that comes out of this. So I just want to kind of close by reading the end of, of Romans eleven, um, and. I wonder, you said this is our 12th podcast in the series. Does that mean we should stop since 12 is like the number of completion? Well, or do another 12. Israel? <laughs> <laughs> we got 12 of yeah. the Old Testament um, and 12 of the New. So here's, here's starting in verse 28 of Romans 11. He says, As regards the gospel, that good news announcement that Jesus is victorious, they are enemies for your sake. Now they here, will you be talking about um, unbelieving Jews or Israelites, right? Um, for your sake, this would be Gentiles. But as regards election, 
they are the beloved for the sake of their forefathers, okay? So again, Israel was the elect nation, the people God brought to himself. We, we mentioned that, the Deuteronomy 32 worldview, that he, he gave the nations over to the small g gods, but he took the house of Jacob for himself, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay? Verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God is a covenant-keeping God, okay? He, he keeps his word, he keeps his promises. So, so in that sense... Um, he, he's going he's gonna to restore them. Verse 30, For just as you were at once at time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. Oh, what's, okay, a little strange there. You Gentiles were at one time disobedient to God, but now you've received mercy because of their disobedience. That would be the disobedience of the Jews or Israelites. I wonder too if, when the northern tribes were disobedient and they were then absorbed into the nations, they were at one time disobedient, mm-hmm. you know, too. So it'd be it just, I don't know if he's intending all that or not, but it's interesting to consider. Um, so, but verse 30, but God now but have received mercy because of their disobedience. Again, there's nothing for us to be proud about. Verse 31, so that, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. Mm-hmm. So that's that ingrafting back in. The Gentiles grafted into the original tree that had been cut off, and then they're now grafted back in, right? So they receive mercy. Verse 32, for God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Again, that goes back to earlier in Romans. Where he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory mm-hmm. of God. doesn't mean Jew or Gentile. We're all included in this. Right. And verse 33 is so wonderful. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. And so I've been thinking about, I love the end of of Romans 8, you know, where it says like nothing can separate from the love of God, you know, all these things. It's just this crescendo of of God's grace. And I I see this echoes it, doesn't it? This echoes it, yeah. The depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who's been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, we just rejoice in the wonder of the wisdom of God of how how can he bring it all back? How can he restore everything? How can he do it when he's done it? And answer some of those tough questions, too, about um, the disobedience and the judgment of particular people and how God can use that for good. And it explains some of that right here. There's you, you've all been disobedient, yeah. And but I am the Lord. I am the the covenant keeper, and I will bring you back, and I will bring in these people from the outside according to my perfect will. Right. And that's that's when we have to stand back and just say, God, you are God, and, mm-hmm. and, and put our hand over our mouth, right, to, to question His means. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so I think I think you know that's a good way to end today, and with the encouragement for us to to trust in in the wisdom of God, and to, uh, and when we have questions about Scripture, when we want to wrestle. I think a lot of this whole season has just been wrestling, just like Israel is is, is the people who wrestle with God, just like Jacob wrestled with God, right? 
And, and it was after that that he got named Israel. That, <laughs> yeah. you know, that we rest, but as we wrestle, we do it ultimately in order to say, Lord, I trust you. And, I, and just like Jacob, we're not going to let go of you. We may not understand why you're doing what you're doing or how you're doing it, but we're not going to let go. We're going we're gonna to hold on to you and your word, and we're going to trust what it says here, the depth of the riches of the wisdom of the knowledge of God. And for us who, who are on this side of the cross in the resurrection— you know, we hold on to Jesus, and it, the the answer is going to be found somewhere in His life, death, and resurrection, in His creation of this new people. And so, as we continue to let that be the center of our thoughts and the center of our meditation on the Scriptures, I think we will continue to find that wisdom of God and that unity of of purpose in, in what He's doing. Oh, that's excellent. All right, we'll see you next time. All right. Next time, we'll examine what Paul means when he says, All Israel shall be saved by looking at who true Israel really is. Planet is a Cornerstone EPC production, connecting to God, one another, and the world through the love of Jesus. More information can be found at cornerstonebrighton.com.